Welcome back to your favorite G.I. Joe podcast show. This is Knowing is Half the Podcast, and I am Ray Stacanus. I'm Robert Clark Chan. I'm Gina Ibolito. And we are not doing G.I. Joe this week, you know, although we are mightily enjoying some G.I. Joe Extreme, but we have a very special guest with us today to talk about a very special episode of television. Am I overselling it? I don't think so. I think I'm properly selling it. We have the writer like, not only of the episode. Yes, uh, no. It's it sounds like an episode where somebody does drugs or gets molested or uh, yeah. like horse. I guess. That, that yeah. Very, if you, if you well, say a very one. special episode, I'm thinking yeah. there's a bike shop involved. Yeah, <laughs> this is the bike shop episode of Ducktales, as we all know. <laughs> Wait, what? what? Oh man, uh, I really missed the metaphors in this one. Yeah, I don't. He, even, he, someone has to translate for me he, because I don't know. For <laughs> Bike shops, you know. He is the prolific cartoon writer. If he let me introduce him, he is the one, the only Len Yuli. Right? Hi. I'm sorry. Ray wanted accolades after he pronounced it correctly. I'm sorry. Because I I was already sure I messed it up again. Okay. (laughs) This time for sure. (laughs) (laughs) let's say hello to the people here once again because you've already done it like three four five hundred times at this point but i keep screwing (laughs) it up but len say hello to the people at home hello to the people i i feel like phil rosenthal hello to the people hey (laughs) come on you guys come on oh you would not believe how good this food is you know (laughs) yes hi Uh, that's a very bad imitation of one of my favorite people phil rosenthal Anyway, hello, everyone, and thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. You know, the future of television is radio, so here we are. Oh, it's all it's all cyclical. It That's all fair. comes back again. Thank I'm, you for I'm, thank you for being on the podcast. Len and I, this is a little peek behind the curtain. Len and I have been uh, Twitter friends, writer Twitter friends for a while, and then we went to a... Uh, and, and in real life, that's a thing that we do now again in 2022, in real life writer mixer. Yes. And uh, and when he started to talk about what he had worked on, I said, we got to get you on this podcast because he has worked on everything. Well, nearly it feels like it some days. But yes, <laughs> I have been very fortunate to have a long and steady career writing animation. And we can get into all of that, too, because... There was another career before that as a precocious and then struggling sitcom writer. So we can, we, can, we can start back in the Stone Age or wherever <laughs> you guys want along the timeline. No, I want to hear, uh, we'll get to the episode, we get to the episode. For those of you at home, this is DuckTales Season 1, Episode 50, Where No Duck Has Gone Before. But I want to hear about this sitcom writing, so by all means... Uh, let us know these things. Okay, yeah, tell I mean, us how you got your start and then how you how you transitioned into uh, animation. Well, okay, if we want to roll it all the way back to the beginning, um, I've said this on other podcasts, 
I was a writer before I knew I wanted to be a writer. Now, I grew up in Los Angeles, which oh. by itself is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I, had I grown up in Detroit, I would have you know, been hanging out at the Rouge River plant for Ford, right? But I, <laughs> can I, can I just up- pause you there for a second? Because you just listed the two places that two of these hosts are from. Chan is from Los Angeles. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Ray is from Michigan. Okay, well... <laughs> How wild is My that? My wife is from Michigan, so obviously we all know one another. You know, oh. it's, not, it's, it's well, we all do know strange... each other. We are all related too. Yes, probably. Uh, I'm sad uh, I never get to come to the barbecues by marriage, perhaps. But anyway, so I, like I said, I grew up in L.A. I saw my first sitcom filmed. When I was like seven, that was, yes, the Dick Van Dyke show. That's Ooh, how I am. Good I, one. I, and when I was, you know, in my, you know, early, you know, 10, 11, 12-ish, I was visiting studio sound stages. So I went to the sets of shows like Batman, twice, The Green Hornet, The Monkeys, mm. The Man from Uncle, My Favorite Martian, several others. Ooh. And yes, I did meet Bruce Lee on the set of The Green Hornet. He did not kill me, so I consider <laughs> that a good day. Because he does, he can do that with his bare hands. Um, I uh, when I went to the set of Batman, uh, first time I think I was there. Uh, Julie Newmar was the guest villainess, and she was mm-hmm. in her uh, costume. And uh-huh. I believe that's I believe that is when puberty set in, right that minute. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it, it made an impression, shall we say? Um, and so I did all. I went to all those shows and with my autograph book and all those things. The only one I didn't get to was Star Trek, but I was a big fan. So big, in fact, that my first script in sixth grade English class was a Star Trek script. Oh, you are you are speaking Chan's language because he is Mr. <laughs> Star Trek. I tell you, this, is, this was, uh, you know, the, 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 the music of my childhood, uh, you know, along with the Beatles, but we'll get onto that later. Anyway, in, in, in high school, I was making student films and writing musical plays. And then I eventually ended up at UCLA and got into the film school. My project one was a nine minute, one song musical. Uh, now that sounds weird enough, but it was <laughs> shot in Super 8 and it was a technical nightmare. But with help <laughs> friends, it worked. Um, I, I could not ever show it today. It would be the end of my career. But at the time, it was kind of fun. And anyway, so there I was. I was a, a junior at UCLA in film school. And I saw that a, a show got picked up, you know, uh, that spring. Um, and it was created by and run by uh, the guys who had done Get Smart. So basically, comedy gods for me. Uh-huh. That's, Get Smart and Rockin' Bullwinkle were the things that made me think funny. I, I could be funny. Uh, so I, 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 um, I called the production office because you could do that back then. <laughs> and I asked for the pilot for Holmes and Yo-Yo, a 13-week wonder that eventually ended up on ABC. And the director of development said, sure. Now, this will not happen today. I promise you there are <laughs> lawyers who would prevent that. But So I got a copy of the script, and I wrote a story outline, not even a script. Wow. And I, I sat on it because who's going to pay any attention to something by a junior in college with no credits? So, you know, I'm a student living at home, busing to UCLA every day. So my mom says, I tell you what, I'll mail it for you. Okay, sure. Why not? <laughs> Two days later, I get a phone call from the story editor, and he says, we're going to make your weekend. And that is how I got my first assignment in television. Now, what they did was, it gets weirder. 
It let gets me just weird. say, let me just say, Len, every single aspiring writer listening to this mm-hmm. podcast right mm-hmm. now is furiously mm-hmm. trying to figure out where to mail their scripts because of this story. Holmes yes. and Yo-Yo. Holmes and Yo-Yo. That's a, is that a, can I write a spec for that now? Yeah, is, is, is that an option? Um, uh, well, to, and, to be and fair, and though, the ladies... answer to that question I can spoil right now is Gina Ippolito's house. Uh, she yeah, would love yeah. to read mail all your specs. Uh, please. Yeah. Full notes yeah. for free, for free, and she'll send them back to you. <laughs> anyway, so we'll it be giving that address that. a little bit later in the show. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so they took my story, which had some good bits in it, and they slammed it together with another story that they already owned by a guy. Oh gosh, what was his name? Oh yeah, the um, hmm, the guy who directed um, uh, Animal House. Hmm. <laughs> What happened to him? Anyway, so they took, the, but for some reason, I got the, sh- the 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 assignment to do the script, and I did. Um, and uh, just between us, I did a terrible job. I was no, I was so, no, no. I was twenty years old. I didn't know what I was doing, and I was so intimidated because there were these guys who, you know, had quote made my childhood a phrase you hear at comic conventions, but they really did. And of course, I turned it in, and they said uh, the. the story uh, producer on it said, <clears throat> okay, where are the jokes? Show me the jokes. <laughs> As you can tell, it didn't go very well. So, but nevertheless, I got my first assignment and I shared credit and that was fine. And then the next year in my senior year, um, I met a guy who was running a production company, a, a boutique production company called First Artists. It was an attempt by people like, you know, Dustin Hoffman and Steve McQueen and Barbara Streisand to have their own first artists kind of thing. Um, anyway, so um, I pitched to this guy and I ended up having a TV series format, not quite a Bible, optioned by him. And it was about the first black president of the United States. I <laughs> like that. Oh. Could ever um, but this was 1977, so I was a little ahead of my time. And <laughs> I was n- not hired to write the pilot because, did I mention I only had one other credit? Uh, so... That uh, happened, and then it didn't get made, obviously. I would be telling a different story at this point. Um, but I figured, oh, well, gee, two assignments before I graduate college. This is going to be easy. It's rocket to the moon. <laughs> and then there was basically three years of radio silence thereafter. <laughs> so my warning to everyone is be um, be wary of big first breaks when you're not really ready. You know, I had whatever talent I had, but I didn't have the discipline and the professionalism that I later acquired over the next few years. You know, um, first breaks, one or another, an occasional assignment. I got in on a writer's internship program at MTM and was assigned to WKRP in Cincinnati. So I got to watch Ooh. them make that for a few weeks. So talk about a master class. Hugh Wilson, insanely talented guy. Yeah. Uh, and that show brilliantly. And I, yes, I, I sold him an episode, which was not produced, but anyway, so <laughs> there was that. Uh, does this all sound like a series of failures because it's feeling <laughs> like right now. Um, but anyway, so I went from precocious young writer to struggling young writer and then um, ended up also writing industrials. And that is where I learned how to be a professional writer. Hmm. Delivering mm-hmm. for the client, doing rewrites, getting paid terrible, terrible uh-huh. low money. 
<laughs> you know, but, you know, uh, kind of learning how to be the utility infielder that I later became in animation, where you're you're writing for, you know, the wonder and the glory of international widget, and then you're doing a car uh, convention and yeti yeti. Anyway, so I got a chance to do some fun stuff there. And one of the companies I worked for was a little mom and pop industrial corporate company. And the pop was Michael Rye, the voice of Duke Igthorne on The Gummy Bears. Now we're getting to the animation oh, part. Oh, very cool. So I then, I was, he introduced me to the story editor, a fellow named Jim Magon. And uh, Jim and the producer on the show, Art Vitello, had written the story and I got to write the teleplay. And so I, that was my first assignment for him, A Gummy Bears. And then I wrote another freelance assignment called where no duck has gone before, which I know we'll talk about <laughs> later. And then after that, the Disney TV animation, which by that point was just beginning to ramp up, mm -hmm. they brought me and a lot of other people on staff. And so I was there on staff uh, for, uh, at Disney TV animation for five and a half years. But another sidebar, here's a fun thing. I know you're all falling asleep at this juncture. Um, I got hired on staff, and one week later, I heard from two, a husband and wife story editor team whom I had met at a Writers Guild picket line, and they were on the CBS, the original CBS version of Charles in Charge, but of course, I'd signed a contract, so I couldn't possibly follow up on the are you available question, and that was the fork in the road that ended up with me doing what I do, have done for the last umpty years, 250 episodes or more later, and here I am still fooling them. Well, <laughs> can I just say that, so, you know, we, we sort of ran down some of your credits earlier, and and I was, you know, you were just joking that you hear this a lot at cons, but this was, you know, Gummy Bears, DuckTales, Tailspin, Rescue Rangers, those were, I watched the hell out of those, like, I loved those, and I actually was, I was on a, this this YouTube show where we had to argue sort of what was the superior Disney cartoon. And I successfully argued uh, for DuckTales based, mo based mostly on the, uh, the, the slamming soundtrack that it has. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was, it was I, I loved all those shows. So what a cool like few first jobs once you got past those other jobs. Yes, it, 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 but all of it's, you know, good training and you know i had by that point become proficient and so you know kind of hit the ground running there and i did work on all the shows you mentioned uh i uh felt that it was a great training i met some really talented wonderful people uh, among the artists and writers uh and so eventually uh after five and a half years uh i left disney which is a, a code phrase for they didn't pick up my contract. Um, but, but fortunately, um, a couple of people I met there, my friends, uh, Eric Leewald and then his girlfriend and wife, Julia Leewald, they were both there. And then Eric had left and, uh, to run the X-Men, the animated series. So oh, my favorite, thanks, my favorite. Thankfully, I had this, this soft landing and I transitioned from funny animals to people in long underwear. And <laughs> started doing that stuff too. You know, I mean, the, the, the lesson is, I guess, um, 
you have to be able to do, you have to be an everyman, like I say, utility infielder. You have to be able to go from genre to genre to genre to genre. And, you know, okay, they're not doing comedy anymore. How are you at action? Oh, uh, you want to be in preschool? Good. Do that. Uh, how about some Bible adventure series? I've done that too. You know, I basically <laughs> put me in coach is, is my <laughs> mantra because, you know, uh, as you know, I'm sure uh, writing animation is a volume business since we get paid something like 30 to 50% on the dollar compared to our live action counterparts. And don't get me started on the long and sad history of that, because that will take another hour. Uh, but, um, you know, suffice it to say that you have to write a lot of cartoon episodes to make a living. Mm -hmm. And nobody gets, unless you create a show like, you know, if, if you create SpongeBob, you're a golden. Yeah. But anybody <laughs> else, uh, you know, we're, uh, you know, I know a lot of millionaires who have worked on The Simpsons for the last couple of decades. Uh -huh. You know, not me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's still time. You're still, you're still a young buck. Ah, ha, ha. thank you. Yeah, checks in the mail. But, uh, you know, it really is, uh, it, it, like I say, you have to write a lot of stuff and, uh, you have to, uh, in the meantime, while you're writing one, you have to be scrounging for others. And I know I sound like I'm whining and complaining again, so I'll shut up. No, that's, you're so making you a really, were... really good point here because uh, you got to keep yourself very, you know, uh, well traveled. You got to know a lot of different things and be able to write in a bunch of different styles. A lot of people at home, you know, especially, you know, you, you look at writers, Twitter, you, sometimes you see people who say, well, I just do this. <laughs> and that that's great if that's what people want right now. <laughs> you uh -huh. know, yeah. but if you only write one type of thing and that falls out of favor or you know there's a million other people writing that one other thing and you can't do the other things then you just don't work <laughs> i yeah, mean that's I, just I, it I, so i really appreciated hearing you say that i work with some extraordinarily funny talented people uh at disney tv animation for example and when you know they had to move on to other places and other genres became more popular I, you know, in a lot of cases, they sort of said, I can't do this because, you know, fortunately, as I mentioned, I started out a, a wannabe comedy writer. I mean, that's, I, while everybody else at film school was going to write the screenplay to change the world, I wanted to be a TV sitcom hack. You know, mm -hmm, I thought mm -hmm. that would be yeah. a good life. And because I grew up- Yeah, you're in a town, place right here on this show where we all get it. Yeah, you're <laughs> in good, you're in good company, Len. Alrighty then. Uh, but that's truly, I mean, I, I and I, I, I'm being facetious when I say hack. I wanted to write comedy because I loved it. You know, you know, doing those shows in high school, I heard people laughing and I say, yeah, that feels good. You know, and but then if I go into more detail about that, it'll sound like a therapy session. And then we're, <laughs> but anyway, um, but truly we are fortunate to be able to entertain people, whichever medium we're in. It just so happened that I accidentally became a cartoon writer. Um, and, you know, uh, it, would I have liked to have moved on and moved higher in sitcom? Absolutely. But then again, I ended up going way past my use-by date by becoming a, an animation writer, uh, you know, because in, unless you're, uh, you know, the, the, the Phil Rosenthal's or the Chuck Lorre's of the world, if you get past 40, you're for some reason no longer funny. In any other business, experience counts. 
if you're a doctor or a lawyer, you know, oh, look, he's done this for a while. She's done this for a while. Uh, in our business, oh, no, he's done this for a while. So, you know, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a weird, weird thing. Uh, and, and yet, you know, I've, I've been fortunate, uh, you know, like, like the old story of the writer walking across the, uh, the uh, studio backlot in, in the studio system days. How you doing, Fred? Oh, fine. Still fooling him. And so that's, you know, how I spend my days still fooling him. Anyway, so, but I digress. Now, Len, I have a question. So when you say you were on staff at Disney, that meant that they could, that they sort of used you where they needed you. You weren't on a specific show. Is that how that works? Well, this is the thing. Back in that time, they, Disney Afternoon ramped up with DuckTales. And then they created this thing called the Disney Afternoon, which was this two-hour syndicated block of series 65 episode orders. So you would have a uh, uh, truly, I mean, I think at one point we may have had 18 writers on staff moving from show to show and floors of artists and writers all in one building doing this kind of thing. Um, this has obviously gone out of favor, as has television syndication. But at the time it was like, wow. And they were doing good really good work. And when they, when your show got sent to one of the really good overseas studios, it came back looking mm -hmm. pretty okay. Um, mm -hmm. Then there were the shows that were sent to East Elbow and you were wondering what happened to my, where are the jokes? We had to use the old <laughs> phrase because you would end up saying, wow, they, they didn't uh, read the script or understand it or something because this is not what I <laughs> thought we were doing. And that, that was the death of, of, um, you know, a lot of stuff over time. But anyway, listen, it was great. And then I got a chance to work on other extraordinary series beyond the, the Disney experience. I mean, you know, say like on my IMDb, I did write three episodes of the X-Men, the animated series, uh, the original one I wrote for other iterations of that. Uh, I uh, eventually Gar Gargoyles is, is, I, is also I, a much, much loved show. It is. I did not work on the original Gargoyles. I worked on sort of a a sort of a um, a successor to Gargoyles, which was not as well received among the uh, uh, the uh, purists oh. because that was not Greg Weissman's. And and of course, I knew Greg when he was a junior executive at Disney TV Animation, and oh. you know we're still in touch. And we're he he and his wife were at our wedding and stuff like that. So you know this is this is this weird sort of dumb luck timing. Who you know and talent. There are a lot of people that came out of that period whom are, they're still friends, you know, or colleagues or people that we recognize on Facebook. But um, anyway, so I got a chance to work on, I, when I was at Disney, I worked with the great Alan Burnett, who subsequently went off to run the Batman, the animated series, and pretty much every extraordinary show that came out of Warner Brothers animation. Mm -hmm. And so eventually I ended up working for Alan. I was you know, back in the free wetlands world, as I mentioned, and I was I wrote sixty episodes of Static Shock, which was an extraordinarily fun show to write, and you know that was the the character Static was co-created by the great Dwayne McDuffie, who uh, tragically is no longer with us. And then after that, uh, having worked at Warner Brothers for a couple of years, and one actually four years because I freelanced and was on staff and was freelance again on Static, ended up on two iterations of Ben 10, uh -huh. uh, Alien Force and Ultimate Alien yes. that Dwayne wrote. And then after Dwayne passed, 
his widow and best friend from high school and college, uh, Charlotte Fullerton and Matt Wayne, they ran uh, Omniverse, uh, Ben 10 Omniverse. And so all in, I got to write 24 episodes of Ben 10 in one version or another. So that was, I mean, it was wonderful in all these cases because, you know, uh, I got a chance to to write stories that were about the human condition. We we did big, silly, everybody after the treasure, is goofy stuff. But we also got a chance to write about things like homelessness and mental illness and and uh, all uh, the, the environment. Later on, I got a chance to write uh, for a, a, a terrific uh, pr- uh, producer named Rob Hoagie. And Rob, Rob has done all these beautiful shows. Thunderbirds Are Go, the reboot of that, but it's a CG version that came out of England a couple of years ago. And I did an environmental episode of that. And he's now running Stillwater, which is probably the most beautiful show on Apple+. Plus. Absolutely gorgeous. So I've been really, really fortunate to work with people who encourage you to write stories that are from the heart and that actually have meaning, that aren't just a cartoon, in quotes. So I really, I, I've been very blessed, to, to put it uh, mildly. It's been, it's been a nice run. I'm not done yet, by the way. I'd like to say, <laughs> I'm not dead yet, but I really, I really have been able to do a lot of cool stuff over the years. Anyway. Oh. Yeah, we, we the guys are going to be mad at me for this because I watch I rewatch too many shows that I've seen before <laughs> instead of watching new ones. But I have been <laughs> I have been yet again for probably the tenth time rewatching uh, uh, the the X Men the animated series, having nothing to do with the fact that we're recording this. Just the other night, I was sort of too too tired to start a new show. And ended up binge watching like five episodes in a row. And I was like, well, I'm five episodes in now. I've got to finish it out. <laughs> it uh, only did and it, truly is, it truly is one of my favorites. And I have uh, uh, Julia's uh, and her husband's uh, uh, coffee table book on my coffee table, uh, which is, yes. is gorgeous. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I, they, uh, Eric wrote one book, um, uh, which was more of a behind the scenes and an interview and the artists and the writers. And then they did this gorgeous coffee table. Book. Uh-huh. It's, uh, it's so really great. I was interviewed in the first one. You see stuff that I, I wrote on in the second one, but you know, they don't really want to hear from us again, I guess. But uh, <laughs> it was, yeah. And a wonderful experience. And so I did, uh, I wrote just full, full disclosure. I didn't write as many X-Men as I would have liked, but that was timing. Cause for a while I was, you know, I think my first episode was like in their fourth season or something like that. I wrote one episode, uh, I think it was called Cold Comfort, and that was the one with Iceman. Uh-huh, I know it and well. Uh-huh. And then I wrote two episodes with Nightcrawler. And the first one called, guess what, Nightcrawler, um, <laughs> is is really one of the fan favorites. That Every mm-hmm. once in a while, something will pop up on the internet or it, when we used to go to conventions and Eric and Julia were kind enough to invite me along and we do panels, that would be one of the ones that people speak of highly and how important that was for them. Uh-huh. They were able to talk about faith with a parent with whom perhaps they couldn't talk about anything else. And so I did that one. And then I did another one, I think called bloodlines. And that was about the uh, dysfunctional relationship between uh, Nightcrawler and Mystique, who turned out to be his mom. Who knew? Uh-huh, you know, so uh-huh. um, again, oh. Eric was one of those guys that let us write something that was more than just 
things exploding. You know, I mean, that was the whole point of X-Men. It was really, uh, you know, sort of a, um, I, I guess you'd call it a melodrama, but it was just it's somewhat serialized, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. always, it was always about the characters first. And the action, there was always action because you have all these people in spandex, but there was wonderful things you could do with those characters that were not done up to that point. Now everybody's doing stuff that sort of follows that example, but at mm-hmm. the time it was radical. You yeah, know, I actually was was reading the reading along the with the Wikipedia entries as I was watching them because I'm a huge nerd, and it was talking okay. about how the first season of X Men was really the the they had to convince the network that it should be serialized that they would just go from one episode into the next right with sort of a previously on and that before that especially in animation that that wasn't done and it was it was very cool it was like a 13 episode season and every episode led directly into the next one which was even now is like kind of crazy actually it is and and i was not involved at that point as i say i was otherwise Mm -hmm. employed by the mouse but the, the the fact is they were able to do something that we now sort of take for granted oh well there's a season long arc but at the time it was like what no mm-hmm. no no mm-hmm. and you know that that give give them some trouble you know when productions were stalled and episodes came in out of order uh-huh. and things like that but you know now you can just watch it on disney plus and you'll be able to see everything in its glory except i think they just had some kind of a glitch where some episodes disappeared but i'm sure they'll fix that because they have endless amounts of money <laughs> Yeah, they're slow to pay people, but have lots of money. <laughs> Absolutely. It's not your money. Well, why do you think they have lots of money? Exactly. They hold on to it as long as they can. <laughs> they're not wrong if, from their perspective, but don't get me started on productions and writers. But <clears throat> anyway, go on. G.I. <laughs> Joe will return after these messages. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always am I the winner. (laughs) Yeah, not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America vs. Darth Vader, Solid Snake vs. the Iron Giant, classic matchups like Robocop vs. Terminator, and even the Muppets vs. Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. DuckTales love adventure. Huey, Louie, Dewey, and Webigail, too. DuckTales, Louie! Funny feathered friends for you. DuckTales, There she is! Quack, 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 Have a DuckTale adventure, each sold separately from PlaySchool. Now, back to G.I. Joe. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jan, This is fantastic. Right? I mean, like, it's just... It- yeah, it's just so. I mean, I love the the fact that you're so varied in there, and you've written so many shows that people feel so much passion for. You know, mm-hmm. aside from the the Disney afternoon shows, which we all grew up. I mean, at least I did. Uh, I'm the only one, I guess. Uh, no, we all grew up. I'll speak for all of us here. <laughs> watching the Disney afternoon shows. They were wonderful. Uh, ben they 10 were. is a show a lot of people hold in really, really high esteem. 
uh, and to work on that so much. And then obviously Skeleton Warriors uh, is the yes. other show that people <laughs> well, really define sure. their childhood yeah. with. Well, um, I got to tell you, the toys were better than the series because they were spectacular toys. I don't know. I forgot oh. the name of the company that built them. They were beautifully articulated and full of detail. The, the, the show itself, well, we wrote the multi-parter, Eric, Julia, uh, Steve Cuden, I've forgotten uh, who else was on that. We wrote that basically in less than a week, all umpty parts of it, because it was <laughs> like, oh, hey, get started. And by the way, you're behind, which is sometimes <laughs> an animation thing. Uh, so we, we, that, was, that was a big hurry up, but it, it turned out okay. Uh, it's, it, you know, it, it may not be one for the Hall of Fame, but it was good work. And again, working with lovely people, people whom, uh, you know, I admire and we're all sort of buddies still, you know, so it all worked out. You're, you're speaking my um, language. I mean, look, yeah. we'll, we'll definitely be watching Skeleton Warriors on this show very, <laughs> very soon. I yeah, we haven't. That. We A lot of your other stuff we watched, actually, we watched, we've even watched some Mummies Alive. We watched at least one Mummies Alive episode, right? Yeah, what fun mm-hmm. for you. Uh, yes, we have the <laughs> Monster Car episode. But also, well, I mean, X-Men the Animated Series is one of my favorite series, but also the Animated Justice League is one of my favorites. Also, all the same voice actors that were in the the Batman the Animated Series, which which uh-huh. we, we love and have done. And I was also just recently re-watching that because it's so I, I love it so much. And it's I, I tell everyone to watch it because for some reason I feel like Everyone knows Batman, the animated series, but not as many people watched the animated Justice League, maybe because there's been so many different versions of Justice yeah. League, but you worked on the the what I consider the best version. But only briefly. That was it's towards the one. end of my time on staff at Warner Brothers, so mm-hmm. full disclosure there. Uh, and I did write kind of one and a half. Uh, I wrote one story in teleplay and one story. and then. But you see, I'll tell you the story about Justice League. Um, Dwayne McDuffie, whom I mentioned, the brilliant and truly, when people use the word genius a lot, he was actually a genius. I mean, this is the guy who went to college while he was, you know, high school age and then went back to high school and went to college and got a couple of degrees and was a prolific, fabulous writer, worked in comics, uh, worked for DC and for Marvel and co-created Milestone Comics, the first, uh, you know, minority-owned comic book company, along with some of his cohorts, including Dennis Cowan, who was a director-producer on Static Shock. So that's how I got to know him. But Dwayne, you know, kind of was, at the time I first met him, he was living in Florida. Then he finally moved to Los Angeles and instantly became a key man at Warner Brothers Animation. Mm. And moved up very, very quickly and sort of became the showrunner on Justice League and then Justice League Unlimited. And after that, he moved over to reboot and age up Ben 10. And so he had seen, he, he liked what I had done for his character for Static on Static Shock. And so he said, why don't you write some for me? And so I did. And it was a spectacular experience. Oh, my God. This guy... It was so good, so talented, so scary, smart, and it, he, the fact that he he's gone is uh, he had you know like aortic aneurysm or something along those lines. Mm. But the fact that he passed is a tragedy. He had so much talent and intelligence, and it was just um, 
uh, we all miss him very, very much. Those mm-hmm. of us who were fortunate enough to work for him and, or get to know him. It was just what a remarkable individual. Anyway, I don't want to bring this down too much. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, uh, yeah, puppies. I, did you know puppies I, are I did thing? work on Justice League briefly. Uh-huh. And then... Um, and then my time ended uh, at Warner Brothers after that, and then I've forgotten where else I went. But basically, I got a lot of opportunities to write on things during the course of, uh, you know, uh, you know, whenever I wasn't on staff someplace, I was freelancing, and I got uh-huh. a chance to write things like, um, uh, like the Land Before Time. Oh yeah, I did one of those. I did two an American Tale oh. home video sequels. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You know. Again, and here's another sidebar, but I got a chance from the very beginning when I started on Gummy Bears and Forward to work with so many extraordinary voice actors and extraordinary voice directors, Um, uh, Andrea Romano, Ginny McSwain, people like that, uh, Sue Blue, these people, they're the ones who directed the shows that made your childhood. Those, Those women were absolutely brilliant, and they could find nuance and subtext in what you'd written that you did not know that you'd written. So it was always a pleasure to, you know, one the closest we get as animation writers, as you know, to opening night is going to a recording session. Mm-hmm. And to be able to hear the these wonderful casts of characters perform, it was just unbelievable. And they're funny, funny people, these voice actors. Uh, they're just so talented. So that's been kind of cool. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone, people listening at home, take the time to go to Len's IMDb page and and check it out because it is truly impressive. And you've had basically, I mean, I don't know if it feels like this to you, but uh, no, it, I mean, you've worked consistently uh, uh, for for years. I know animation is wonky because you write something and then it comes out <laughs> two years later, and you're like, wait, what did I write on? Well, um, yeah. But yeah, you you've worked consistently, which which you know, in as as I sit here panicking about my own career, is is very <laughs> impressive. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll tell you, uh, it, it it is. Uh, it, it, my wife and I describe the, the the career in the entertainment industry as a roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. You know, are you working? Yeah, are you working? Uh, so it's it's it's. I've been very fortunate to be consistent. You know, at, at a steady level, not you know, uh, buying a boat level, mm-hmm. because uh, <laughs> just to give you a clue, um, I, I won an award a few years ago, the Writers Guild Animation Writers Caucus Animation Writing Award, and the fellow who preceded me the previous year was Sam Simon, the co-creator of The Simpsons, <laughs> also showrunner of oh, Cheers geez. and Taxi and things like that, and other sidebar, Sam and I were childhood friends. But I digress. Anyway, but I had I had not seen him in in many many years, and clearly our careers went in different paths. Um, but uh, so there was Sam. Wait a minute! Now was, I'm just mad at Sam. I'm mad at Sam Simon now for not getting you those millions working on The Simpsons. Come on, Sam! Sam, no, not, Sam is also gone. Sadly, uh, an extraordinarily talented well, he missed guy. Missed his chance. But, very unfortunately. No, no, no. Okay, no, now you're opening up. No, a, 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 I want to hear this you, then. Okay, you're opening up a wound because after Sam, uh, you know, I'd gotten my first assignment as a junior in college. And after Sam came back, 
he went to Stanford because, you know, uh, different tax bracket. And uh, I Ooh. and I went to UCLA because it was two hundred and twelve dollars a quarter. That shows you how old I am. But um, boy, oh, so, boy. You know, so Sam came back and said, you know, we should write together. I said, oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can tell you stories oh, about bad choices I've made, but it's okay. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, he went on to great fame and fortune, and you know, he had a Rodan in his backyard, that kind of thing. But uh, I don't mean the Japanese monster; I mean, a, you know, the, the sculpture. But anyway, um, and you know, and then the, anyway. But so, to be fair, and, though, and between so was, the two of them, which one appeared on this show? Thank you. <laughs> That's harder to, get, harder to get him on the phone now. Anyway, uh, because anyway, so there was Sam and then there was me and then there was Seth MacFarlane the following year. So the bell curve wow. is kind of like the Marianas Trench. You know, it goes. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> so, um, you know, on the other hand, I've been very fortunate to be steady. And like I say, a long time past my use by date, had I not signed that Disney contract, had I gone to work for Charles in Charge and, and the musical stylings of Scott Bayo. So, you know, <laughs> you know, life is weird, okay? You know, there's no explanation yeah. for it. This Back. is just stuff that happens. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, you know, thank you for your kind words about this, the, 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 what we laughingly refer to as my career. But, you know, I, I, I've been, I've been very fortunate and, uh, I'd like to keep at it, and I'm, I'm, as Gina and I have talked about, I'm, I'm trying to tiptoe back into live action. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've written a sort of a comedy drama screenplay that I would love to sell. Uh, so, if there are any producers who are interested in an under ten million dollar movie that can be shot in basically one location, let me know. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, and I'm working on my next, which is a screwball comedy. So, sure, make it easy for yourself, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, but um, that's that. I have a lovely sitcom, which is guess what? It's set in a struggling animation studio, <laughs> right? Oh you know, boy! You know? So um, I'm not making any of this easy for myself. But these are the things that that interest me and uh, amuse me. And yeah, you know, as, as I'm sure you've discussed with many of your guests, you have to be entertaining yourself first mm-hmm. with whatever you write, whether it's mm-hmm. Fluffy the Funny Furball. Or if it's, you know, that great screenplay that's going to change the world, like all those guys I went to college with, who, by the way, <laughs> ended up, yeah. you know, writing our dramas. So, you know, mm-hmm. they, they have worked out for them, too. Uh, but, yeah, this is the kind of stuff that you say to yourself, well, okay, the road not taken. I mean, in a perfect world, I would have been writing musicals, but also I'd like to pay the rent. So, you know, <laughs> um, stuff happens, you know, yeah. once in a while, I, yeah. I got a chance to throw songs into a few of the cartoons. And that was always fun. I, I worked on one show called Ozzy and Drix, which mm-hmm. was uh, a, a, a spinoff of Osmosis Jones. I don't know if you guys remember Oh, yeah, that. yeah. No, so I, I got a chance to write a few episodes of that. And one of them, the villain was nicotine because the kid is... <laughs> sort of pushed into smoking cigarettes. So um, nicotine was played by, um, uh, oh, criminy. Uh Tim, help me here. I'm blanking. Uh, this, uh, um, uh, um, uh, oh, uh, Rocky Horror. Uh, it's Curry. Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Thank you very Lots. much. I, I just had Indian food for dinner tonight. You'd think I would remember this. <laughs> but um, 
uh, Tim Curry. And so I got to write a co-write a song for Tim Curry to sing. So wow. talk about that awesome. box of weirdness, you know, and he was great, obviously. And the, the episode won some kind of award and things like that. So, you know, these accidental, you know, opportunities turn out to be so much fun, so much fun. Um, so, um, you know, would I have liked uh, Writers Guild uh, residuals for the <laughs> 250 some episodes I wrote for cartoons? You bet. Uh-huh. Uh, I would be buying that boat, but yeah. um, uh, <laughs> but that didn't happen. And so, you know, the, I, I what I got is a chance to write for some extraordinary properties. You know, uh, you know, I, a long time ago, I said that people who write animation, they get to they're the sort of the test bed, the proving ground for these billion dollar properties, okay? Which have, it, it, we demonstrate that, you know, you could actually do a movie or something about X-Men. And then suddenly there's 92 mm-hmm. X-Men movie. Uh-huh. You know, uh, I've written for almost all of the Marvel characters, a number of DC characters. I grew up reading DC comics. So I was really lucky to write for a lot of those characters. I mean, I, I got a chance. I didn't work on... Batman the Animated Series, that would have been great fun, uh, or the Green Lantern Series, but Green Lantern being my favorite DC comic book character, but I did manage to write for Jon Stewart on the Justice League you mentioned, and I wrote one for uh, Hal, Hor- Hal Jordan on the Batman series. Oh, so very cool. That all worked out too. So, you know, me and the, the power ring, you know, I, I it was like, <laughs> okay, I like doing that, and, you know, childhood box ticked there. So, uh, <laughs> you know, again, dumb luck, timing, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you can, I think you've inspired our next t-shirt for our store. It's just going to say life. It's just stuff that happens. <laughs> it really is. I think yeah. right there, dumb luck and timing. I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I like yeah, it. Dumb, luck, <laughs> dumb luck and timing for sure. Well, well my, my, my <laughs> credo, and I think I came up with this, but I'm not sure somebody may have also, uh, the the successful career is dumb luck timing who you know and talent in whatever order and that's fine you know <laughs> as long as as long as it ends up you know leading to you know gainful employment uh, fine great yeah Yay. <laughs> hooray <laughs> I, you know uh so so far so good yeah, absolutely. It's 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 the best we can we can in this crazy industry, especially with the last couple of years. It's sort of the best oh, we can yeah. we can hope for. <laughs> oh yeah, that's it. And someday, someday I'm going to get one of those four. Someday <laughs> it's going to happen. I'm I'm still on the hunt, you know, because <laughs> it's like, uh, um, you know, they say practice makes perfect. Well, you know, if you think you're perfect. You've got another thing coming. There, you can always <laughs> learn. You can always do better. You know. So when I end up writing, you know, for uh, one of the Bible adventure series, if I'm writing for uh, um, the Veggie Tales, mm-hmm. different set of muscles than uh, it is writing for the Batman. But you're still telling stories, mm-hmm. and you're still trying to entertain. And sometimes you're even successful in doing that. Sometimes, sort of. I don't. <laughs> you know, you try. You do your best. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. You know. Yeah. I'm sure you'll find people who will say, mm, "No," but uh, you know. But I, I've been able to work with a lot of great people who have been dumb enough to hire me again. So, yay. <laughs> 
Uh, I should uh, say kind enough to hire me. (laughs) What show have you worked on the longest, like the longest run? Well, there was the static. Well, five and a half years at Disney, but that was one show and then the other and then the other. So eight on this show, five on that show. Um, Static Shock, like I say, was freelance, staff story editor freelance. That was 16 uh, but the the full run of the Ben 10 through 3 series, that was 24 episodes. Uh, so that's dandy. I, I worked on a show called RoboZuna a couple of years ago. That was nine episodes, thanks to a story editor named Kevin Hopps, with whom I worked when I was at Disney umpty thousand years ago. He was my <laughs> story editor on Darkwing Duck. So, you know, again, to your listeners, you know, the people that you work with, the people that you come up with, you're all going to depend on each other. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, Kevin was kind enough to hire me to work on this show, which was an international co-production, uh, you know, out of England. Uh, a lot of the stuff I've worked on lately has been international co-productions. Uh, as much as I'd love to go to back to work for the Walt Disney Company or Warner Brothers, uh, most of the stuff lately has been kind of like, where'd that come from? Oh, yes, right. They make cartoons in Latvia now? Okay. <laughs> We just, you just say, thank you, sir. May I have another, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Cartoon writer who's written on such shows, obviously, as DuckTales, uh, Gummy Bears, Chippendales, Rescue Rangers, Darkwing Duck, Tailspin, X-Men, the animated series, and a whole bunch of other superhero stuff. Len Uli, you are here with us today. Say hello to the people at home. Hi, thanks. Uh, guys, we're going to have to start again. It's Uli. U-H-L-E-Y. He said it, Ray. He yeah. said it Uli. earlier. I, my <laughs> Sorry, ability. I no, that was Ray's fault. No, it all start no from here's scratch. the deal. Yuli. Yuli. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm Yuli. just going to go back to when I say the name because that's why you say it last because I know I'm going to screw it up. See, I've gamed the system <laughs> for my own incompetence. Screw, he does frequently hey, screw guys, it up. I have trouble with it too. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> all right. Take two. The one. Take two. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kevin Goatee. Hey, I'm Kevin Israel. We host Gutting the Sacred Cow, the best and most unique movie debate podcast out there. Why? Because we invite our guests to pick a film that they find overrated or hate and try to convince us to see their argument. They must pick a film that is a financial success, widely beloved, or critically acclaimed. That's right. Some of the films our guests have tried to eviscerate, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Pulp Fiction, Ghostbusters? You can find us on all podcast platforms like Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. And if you want to watch our smiling faces, we're also on YouTube. Guttingthesacredcow.com is where you find all of our information. And we look forward to our guests infuriating you when they attack your favorite films.